All right. Welcome to this week's podcast, an episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. Each week, we will bring you a podcast covering all things data ops with the people that are making data ops what it is today. My guests this week are Randy Bean and Allison Sagraves. Randy's the founder, CEO, innovation fellow, senior advisor, thought leader, author, there is the book, speaker, and board member. He's the, he is the best-selling author of this great book, Fail Fast, Learn Faster, Lessons in Data-Driven Leadership in an Age of Disruption, Big Data, and AI. He's also a contributor to Ford's, Harvard Business Review, and MIT Sloan Management Review. Allison is a recognized authority on data analytics and strategy and advises many startups, companies, and on data monetization and strategies therein. As an early chief data officer in industry, she helped define the role and has achieved international recognition being named as a 2022 top 100 global data and analytics innovator 2022 top 50 data and analytics leader and three-time global data power women among many other awards. Allison's a founding faculty member of the Carnegie Mellon University Chief Data and Analytics Officer program where she's now both a faculty member and an advisor. And then in her spare time she's also an advisor to my friends at dataops.live. Now, I could go on about both of these guys, but that would take like the entire podcast just to go over all the things that these two have achieved. So uh, I'm going to get going here and you know, welcome to our show, Allison and Randy. Thank you. It's great to Hi. be here. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, we could talk about so, so many things. There's so much happening in, in the data world these days, and you both are like right in the middle of it all the time and have been for quite a few years. Uh, but but recently you wrote an article for CDO magazine about reinventing the role of the CDO, Chief Data Officer. So want to start off a little bit of like why did you write that article and you know what's what's changed um, in our industry that that makes you think that the the role needs to be reinvented. Well, I'd be happy to go first. Uh, let me share with you a little bit of data because for the past uh, dozen years, we've been conducting a survey of Fortune 1000 organizations and their top executives. Roughly 85% of the respondents have been chief data officers or chief data and analytics officers. And it's interesting to note that when we first conducted the survey in 2012, only 12% of organizations had appointed a chief data officer, whereas this year, 82.6% of organizations had. So that tells you a few things. Uh, clearly it's a new role. Uh, when the CIO role, chief information officer role was first established a generation ago, people used to joke and say that CIO stood for career is over because there was so much uncertainty and not a clear blueprint. So CDOs face a number of challenges and Allison having sat in that chair can certainly speak to them, you know, very directly. Yeah, I would just add that, uh, you know, in the past few months, as I've been meeting with chief data officers in across industries and kind of around the world, um, 
everyone thinks that no matter what they're doing, they're not doing enough. And um, I think people like have a real complex in this industry. And, you know, Randy's data kind of supports it because I think the majority of chief data officers, I actually took this survey when I was in the role, um, would report that they're achieving some value with data. But I think it's something like fewer than 20% uh, of, of people that answered the survey say that they have a data culture. So I think that, um, you know, so much has been invested in this space. There's so much discussion about, uh, I, I, you know, data ops, data products. Uh, so I think that, you know, Randy and I talked and we thought um, we really need to like encourage people to be much more business focused, much more um, aligned to like what's important to the business and, you know, what are the strategic priorities of any company? And that's where data should be prioritized. Uh, it's not a separate thing. Uh, the CDO should not be separate from the business. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the true data ops principles is collaboration. I, I Really, the chief chief data officer is a chief collaboration officer to really enable the business to use data to advance the goals of the company. And I can give some examples. Um, I just think that the talk in this industry is is too abstract, uh, too theoretical, and we've really just got to be much more practical about things people can do, you know, starting today, starting this month to really help their business partners achieve value. Absolutely. Yes. And that just to add to the point that Allison made, just want to share some additional data. You know, we asked, are you driving business innovation with data? Five years ago, 59% said yes. This year, 59% said yes. So no improvement. Are you competing mm -hmm. with data and analytics? Five years ago, 47 47% said yes. This year, 40% said yes. So actually it declined. Have you created a data-driven organization? Five years ago, 31% said yes. This year, only 23%. And lastly, have you established a data culture? Five years ago, 28% said yes. And this year, only 20% said yes. So it points to the fact that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And one of the things that I preach to organizations when they ask is if they're not getting measurable business value from their data investments, they really need to step back and rethink what they're doing. Yeah, so that's interesting that those percentages went down over the last uh, last couple of years when you're doing your survey. Is that the result of maybe they, we have a better understanding of what that means to have a data-driven culture and they're realizing that, well, we actually really haven't achieved it? or is something else changing that's causing that those numbers to back down? Uh, just quickly in answer to your question, um, it could be many things, you don't know for sure, but I actually believe, uh, and this is a good piece of good news, is that there's a greater realism and people before were maybe optimistic and when the CDO, CDO role was first established, there was the assumption, certainly many executives said, oh, well, we appoint a chief data officer, therefore we're data driven. Right. And over time, people have said, well, you know, there really is a lot of work to do. There's a huge change management element involved, uh, changing business processes, uh, changing skill sets, getting buy-in from the organization. So I think it's a greater realism. And that's a good thing. That's a maturing factor. I also think that people keep raising the bar on what good looks like, um, and, you know, and, and one of the reasons we wrote this article was when I was talking to some CDOs from these were Fortune 100 global companies. 
I would say like, you know, what are you doing in the data space that's, you know, helping your customers, helping your business partners? And they would give great examples. And then, uh, then they would say, but, you know, we haven't achieved a data culture. So, I, you know, I found this sort of like duality, uh, you know, interesting that um, no matter what people had achieved, they thought they weren't doing a good job. So um, I, I just mm. think that there just needs to be much more, you know, business focus, um, you know, partnering with the business on real on, on critical objectives and and less uh, sort of abstract talk about everybody's got to be trained in the company and like all of these things that I think make people feel that they've never done enough. I, I think like we shouldn't talk about enough. We should talk about like what's important and there, we just need to be much more focused. I think that was one of the first points we put in our article is relentless prioritization. And I, um, a story I often tell and it's a oversimplification and generalization, but it makes the point. And that is, as I described that I go into many organizations and meet with data leaders and they talk about all the capabilities that they've created. And I say, wow, this is amazing, good for you. And I meet with the technology leaders and they talk about the engineering and the architecture and the platforms they put in place. And I say, this is a very impressive. And they meet with the line of business leaders and they say, hey, you know, we don't trust the data that we're getting. We're not getting the data that we need to make the decisions that are important to us. We're not getting, in a getting the data we need in a timely fashion. So this points to this gap between expectations and what's happening on the ground. And to Allison's point, the more that uh, the strong business sponsorship and data leaders and technology and business leaders can work hand in hand, the greater the probability of a successful outcome. Yeah. And so uh, what do you see this question here from uh, Jeff Jacobs? Could it be that there's a higher volume of newer companies responding to your survey that they haven't um, made the progress because they're just getting started? Well, uh, so I'm just answering a couple of different ways. They're, um, they're all Fortune 1000 companies or, or the equivalent to Fortune 1000 companies. And uh, across industries, uh, roughly 57% are major financial services firms, 16% from healthcare, 10% uh, from retail and consumer goods, 5% from media and entertainment, and 12% from all other. But they're, to that point, they're all at different stages of maturity. Some are on their first iteration of a chief data officer, and some, in the case of major banks, you won't believe this, are actually on their seventh person to sit in the CDO role. Wow. That, that's a, a lot of churn. And I, I remember the, uh, the days of the CIO being uh, you know, you know, kind of the career-ending thing that people were going... Uh, you know, the average life expectancy of a CIO is like 18 months, right? And so you were constantly, are you seeing the, the same thing in those industries with the CDO that they're, they're not for, for a variety of reasons, I'm sure that they're, they're not getting the longevity to actually build that data culture and, and keep the momentum going. If you're changing the leadership that frequently, it seems like that might be a bit of a problem. Yeah, I'll comment on that briefly. Um, Tom Davenport and I wrote in Harvard Business Review an article a year ago that said the average tenure of a chief data officer was roughly 20 to 24 months. And exactly to your point, with that type of turnover, it's hard to sustain any type of uh, momentum or, or progress. It seems that organizations are often going back and forth. We've been asked about whether the chief data officer is a internal person that knows the business well or an outside change agent. And those numbers seem to vary from year to year as well. 
So um, this is one of the things that I've been curious about because I've seen different answers to it is where should the CDO report? I mean, thinking that we want to have this, it really needs to be tied into the business. Who does the CDO report to? Do they report to a CFO? Do they report to a CIO? Do they report to the CEO or the COO? Where's the, the best place for them to live? You know, I'll, I'll comment briefly and then uh, let Allison uh, weigh in. But uh, one of the questions that we asked this year was, uh, who does the CDO report to uh, versus past years? And for the first time, 43% of the respondents said that the uh, chief data officer reported to the president, CEO, or chief operating officer, which was a huge step up in terms of seat at the table. Because when we asked this question in previous years, five years and before that, most of them reported to the chief information officers. So there's really been a shift in many organizations to for the chief data officer becoming a peer of the CIO. And I'd love to hear Allison's uh, real world perspectives on that. Yeah, I think it, uh, in some ways it kind of doesn't matter. I think what matters is that the role has stature, that the person has influence and is very tightly connected to the business. Um, I think people get a little tripped up on, well, does it report here? Does it report there? People can be successful reporting anywhere. If the organization is, uh, if the person has authority and, and has good partnerships with the business. So I don't think that's so critical. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's, that's kind of the key. My experience from my career has always been that is, you know, I can't do what you want me to do if you don't give me the authority to do it. So somehow you have to be empowered, right, to, to make because some of these are fairly drastic changes for organizations to to introduce a data culture and um, really build that synergy between the technology side and the business side in order to to be successful. And without the authority, that's, you know, how are they going to be able to achieve that? You know, I think you need, uh, you, you basically need a team of leaders and, and you know, this is gets to the culture, but, you know, you, you need the um, business savvy. You need like people who are curious about the business and, and think about the business in, in, in uh, quantitative terms, data terms. You, you need technology people who, you know, understand how to, uh, you know, provide the infrastructure to enable people to use data. Um, so it's not like one person that makes this happen. I think um, now like the CDOs, I think if they're, uh, if they have a strong domain expertise, they know what's, what the, what's possible. Uh, and they have good relationships in the business, they can kind of corral people, um, you know, into these teams, like in data ops principles, like collaborate, you know, in, in, in small groups and really focus on uh, real business problems. You know, I think um, uh, I was, I saw last week that there was a startup uh, that's focusing on helping companies look at their customer data to figure out which customers are gonna churn. And I thought to myself, you know, people are agonizing about having a data culture. Like your first order of business should be to understand who your customers are. Like if you're not doing that with data and understanding who are your customers, who might likely be, uh, you know, about to leave. I mean, these are very easy things to do with data. And, you know, I think people just need to start with some basic problems like this, build some traction, get some real value, um, and just incorporate data into everyday decision-making. I think we make it too complex. I think there's 
so much press about you have to scale and now everything is AI every single day that you just have a constant <laughs> inferiority complex. I mean, I would just challenge anybody out there. I hope you know who your customers are. I hope you know the ones that are the most profitable. I hope you're taking care of them. And I hope you know the ones that are about to leave and you're doing something about that. If you're not doing that with your data, you, you have bigger problems. One thing yeah, that, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, one thing that I might add to that is uh, something that we've seen a, a sharp increase in recent years is um, companies and data leaders focusing on what we characterize as offensive activities versus defensive. Defensive being regulatory compliance and risk, offensive being business growth, uh, customer generation, uh, customer treatment. Uh, creation of new markets, uh, expansion into new markets and creating new products. And we're seeing more and more of that, particularly, uh, it's worth noting that particularly in non-financial services industries, for example, among consumer goods and retailers, to a significant degree, you know, they're in fashion businesses, so they have to be uh, attuned to change. And hence, they're spending a significant more uh, a greater portion of their time on business growth activities. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, from your perspective, looking at the role of the CDO, what responsibility do they have for like implementing or adopting things like true data ops approach, agile, data culture? You know, how much of it is them and how much of it is other parts of the organization to, to really try to... Um, get these things going. I mean, I think that they, that they are the leader in that um, lead, lead uh, influencer and collaborator. Um, I think making people aware that, um, hey, we can, make, uh, we can make an impact quickly. Um, and I think um, really uh, just championing agile principles from everything from the procurement process to, to you know, how we get tools, to how we make data accessible to, to businesses, to you know, working with the business on you know, focused problems. I think that um, I think the good thing now about being a CDO is technology is not the barrier. I mean, when, when I started out in 2015, mm -hmm. there's a different, uh, the te technical landscape was much different. I mean, yes, there's, it's complicated. There's lots of tools, but, but the good news is you should be able to get up and running you know, in a matter of days uh, to be able to do something impactful. So I think it's up to the CDO to um, really, uh, you know, inspire and get people moving uh, on something that's important to the business. So I, I do think that that's an important role of the CDO to is to be a, a, a champion uh, evangelist, I guess is a word people use a lot, but yeah. uh, you know, to, to really lead the charge and to accelerate the charge and, and really, you know, kind of focus on speed. And as Randy wrote a whole book, fail fast. I mean, uh, we have to accept that we're not going to get things perfect, but uh, done is better than perfect and learning uh, and, you know, iterating that that's how, that's how you expand and scale and ultimately create a data culture, but you've, you got to get off the dime. Yeah, and this is a question for you, Randy, uh, from from your your experience there and writing that that book, Fail Fast. What's the what's the main barrier for people being able to kind of adopt that mindset where it's okay to fail as long as we're making progress? Yeah, that that's a, a question, a big question with a lot of different answers. Um, one of those answers is to Allison's point that consistently. 
when we ask people what's the biggest barrier to success, you know, it's not technology, you know, roughly 90% respond, it's cultural issues, people issues, you know, change. You know, when when major banks have operated for a certain way for generations or well over a hundred years to for, to expect them to become data-driven overnight, it's a, it's a process. So on the one hand, organizations have to plan for the long term and they have to stick with it and be resilient and persistent, but they need to try things along the way. They need to uh, experiment and see what works. And if something doesn't work, they need to move on to the next thing and working closely with business partners, because if they can show success in solving one business problem or asking one business question, that starts to establish that trust. And if you repeat it again, you further deepen that trust and it establishes credibility. And then the more you cycle through that, it starts to establish momentum. But if you don't have that trust from the outset, it's hard to um, make any meaningful progress. Yeah. So uh, how how do you, do you have any advice for folks on how to go about getting the business or the CDO or whoever it is to actually make the investment necessary to to achieve some of these cultural changes, you know, some of it's training, some of it's coaching, some of it's mentoring. But how do you get them off the dime to to do that and and make the, I'll say, an appropriate level of investment as opposed to just throwing a little bit of money at it and throwing a couple of people to a class? I, I have one quick answer to that, um, and that is is uh, speak business terms and not jargon because there's too much jargon and often it winds up turning the business people off because they have to go and look up what it is that's being said and it makes them feel that you know they're not being treated respectfully and you know everybody is in business so unless you can speak in terms of business outcomes it's uh, hard to establish credibility and i remember a story from about a decade ago where a data leader came to me and they related that they went to the president of the company and they said, I need $25 million for an MDM project. And the president of the company said, uh, request denied because I don't know what MDM is. And until you can come back to me and speak in the language that I understand and what's the specific benefits that I'm not interested. Uh, yeah. I'll just, yeah, I'll uh, kind of elaborate on that. Um, you know, I spoke with a CDO a couple months ago and he said, you know, if I um, had it to do over, I would have spent more, my time building relationships with the business, talking their talk. And then he gave an example of a very specific um, uh, project that he did with uh, in, in commercial banking uh, to identify customers who were the, the next most likely product to sell. Uh, in in the commercial bank, and um, he, you know, working with a business partner, he found a pain point that they had and addressed that pain point, and and it was a really interesting story. And and you know, basically, he said, I've spent all this time trying to get everybody on board, but I really should have been focused on building these relationships and understanding the business problems, and you know, tackling things kind of like you know one at a time. I mean, obviously, you can ultimately end up doing things multiple at a time. But, you know, I think if to your point, what should people do today? I think really just have conversations with the business, find out what is, what are their problems? What do they need help with? And then, you know, get them some data, get them up and running in the next, you know, one to two weeks and, and get moving on something. 
I think we, we've overcomplicated, we've overengineered so much of this that I think, um, I think there's a fear element. And I think, you know, plenty of foundations have been built that can be leveraged for, for the purpose of delivering business value. So I'd say get off the dime, go meet with your most trusted business partner and identify a problem that you can start working on in the next two weeks. Yeah, and so they you, can be scary to people too. I mean, sometimes people don't like what the data has to say. So, uh, you know, that's why it's really important to have those relationships so that you can provide some context so that people will become more accepting of uh, the information that's coming to them. Yeah. And I think you're, you're hitting on a lot of points that I think are actually kind of buried in the Agile Manifesto and the principles of Agile, you know, work daily with the business, you know, have the the product owners should be from the business. The backlog should be prioritized by the business. But that means we have to be able to communicate that to the business in terms that they understand. And like I say, speaking about what's the business problem we're trying to solve. It's not a technology problem, right? It's it's a business problem. We can throw all the technology in the world we want at things and all these great methodologies and all of that. But if we're not addressing a... Um, a business problem that resonates with the business, well, you're, you're not going to get the investment, right? We're not going to get the funding to, to actually do this and make progress towards those goals. Yeah, you know, I, think the, I was going to say on the whole topic of Agile, it's really an ad, to me, it's an Agile spirit. It's an Agile way of thinking. It's a, an Agile way of acting. Um, and it's, it's less about the methodologies and the manifestos and all this stuff. And it's, it's you know, act Agile, like, like walk the walk, uh, you know, spend less time focusing on all the terminology and just behave in an Agile way. Uh, that's what I think. Just a quick aside, you know, I just... Completely independently, I happened to be reading a book a few weeks ago about the building of the uh, transcontinental railroads in the United States, and that was a very transformative technology thing. But the end result was people cared about that it got us to our destination faster. They didn't care about what type of gauge was used on the rails or how many miles of rails were laid down. So, you know, there's lessons to be learned from history. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that that's a great point. We, you know, us, myself, primarily in the technology side of the world, we spend a lot of time talking about the technology, talking about the approach, talking about, you know, true data ops, Scrum, Agile, Lean, whatever it is, rather than, than what are we going to achieve, right? And the, the business doesn't, I've made this argument for years with a lot of people, the business doesn't necessarily need to know what modeling technique you're using or what database you're using. They just need to see that you are helping them solve a problem that makes the business more efficient, uh, makes it more profitable, whatever the goals of the organization are. And as technology IT people, this has been a struggle for, I don't know, I'll say four decades that I've been doing it, of trying to get people to see and, and like, you know, like you said, I think your your message there, Randy, was great. It's like, get rid of the jargon. You need to use business terminology. You need to talk to the business people in a language that they understand, right? That's it's not it's not about all the tools and the technology. It's about you know the goals of the business. 
and how we're going to help them achieve that. And maybe it is with the true data ops approach with an agile scrum approach, but throwing those terms out too soon. You know, when they say, how did you do it? How were you so successful? Well, maybe we can explain it then, but do they really need to know this, this, um, these particular technical terms that we use to, to actually go about doing our work? I think we, you know, we swap out every, you know, 24 months, we have a new, new set of terms, new vocabulary. Yeah. We swap out the vocabulary, but we don't change the behaviors. So now everybody needs to be a data product owner, which I don't disagree with. I think that is a good direction, but um, we just relabel things, but we haven't changed what's, what's in, we haven't changed the contents. So what does it mean to be a data product owner? And, and now it's, it's kind of industry. There's a whole cottage industry. Every university is now having training in and being a product owner, which, you know, it's probably a good thing. Um, probably. But, you know, what does it take to be a product owner? Now you're just changing somebody's label. Now they're a product owner. What does that actually mean? I, you know, I think about that launching a new product is kind of a big deal. Like I said this before, if, if we were good at doing that, we would have all launched a product and started a business. It's actually hard to launch a product. It's actually hard to launch something that's commercially viable. We'll have customers that are willing to pay for it. So suddenly we're just going to label everybody product owners and expect that we're going to have success. I mean, you know, I think we just need to be more practical yeah. about, uh, yeah. more pragmatic about what we're doing and get away from all of this buzzword jargon. I'm not saying that we don't need to change roles and realign to, to some extent, we obviously do. But I think we, we, uh, we're too superficial in our, in our approach. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right up there with organizations. And I worked in one where they basically said, we're going to become an agile engineering organization, um, two-week deliveries. Because <laughs> it's two-week iterations that, you know, thou art agile, let's go. And yeah, no, that, that was... That didn't work out real well. So we do have to think about these things. Like, yeah, we can put all the labels on it we want, but we really have to understand the approach. Well, uh, we've used up used up our time very quickly here with the two This has been awesome. Um, I have a, a traditional question I like to leave just to kind of change our mind again. If you weren't involved in data and technologies like this, what would you do? So I'll start with Alice. I would be spending all of my time where I am right now in my forest um, uh, with my bees and um, planting my new orchard. And so I'm out here a lot. I'm out here a lot than, more than I used to be, but I think I'd do that full time. Oh, that's great. We, I know we need bees, we need pollinators, and we definitely need fruit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm down with that. That's great. Uh, Randy, what about you? Yeah, when I was in college, I wanted to be a writer or a rock star. And my career got to a point that I could actually start writing about things. And in a teeny tiny community, sometimes I'm a little bit of a rock star. Awesome. That, that's great. I love it. So, well, uh, thank you both for, for being the guests on our show today. Um, and thanks for everyone who's, who's joined in on our live stream and those of you who are going to watch the, the recording of this. Uh, be sure to join us next time as I'm going to be chatting with Snowflake data superhero and expert architect, Frank Bell. So uh, until then, have a great week and don't forget to like these uh, 
podcasts and the uh, the YouTube videos that go with them and tell all your friends about the True Data Ops podcast. So this is Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior, signing off for now.